good to have uh, a guest from a long way, uh, Sister Jacqueline Huffman, and uh, I guess you say when you call guests and you immediately make them a sister, you, uh, but she's kind of suspicious. She just kind of jumped into Victory March, and I thought, now who in the world is that? And uh, she's she's in the area for a a funeral, and uh, she's from Redding, California, and decided she would come to church here with us tonight. And we're very thankful uh, that she came to church. And uh, so y'all catch up with her. I don't know how much Southern cooking they eat in California, but if, if somebody has time to take her to eat some Southern cooking, y'all take her tomorrow or the next day. But I'm glad you're here. I feel the presence of the Lord. And uh, Sister, it's all the singing here tonight. But Sister Mills singing that song, We Have an Advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the Righteous. 1 John chapter 2. You need to get that verse and, and don't forget where that's at. And... Uh, and the Lord is, is very good to us. Romans chapter 8, I would like to start in verse 31. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8, verse 31, the Bible says there, What shall we say? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As, is it, is it, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, and we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I am going to preach to you here tonight. And when you see the title, in fact, it may already be up there. Um, you're going to be shocked. But I'm going to preach to you about the assurance of salvation. And, um, and I pray the Lord helps us here tonight. Let's ask the Lord to touch his word and to minister to this local congregation. Lord, I I feel your presence. I feel the liberty, Lord, of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And I'm asking you, Lord, tonight that you would take this word and that you would use it, Lord, to be helpful, to be an encouragement. But I pray also, Lord, help it to convict and help it, God, to call us, Lord, to a place of greater living for you and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I, um, <clears throat> this is number 11. Romans chapter 11 or chapter 8 and um, I pray I have been extremely blessed 
as I have uh, just in my own personal time went through this, I've got a lot more, um, I guess, notes, things that I have left out than some of the things that I have preached to you here uh, over the last several months as we have gone through Romans chapter 8. Started it last December, and um, for the most part, I have, have tried to, on Sunday nights, to preach uh, from Romans chapter 8. This caused me to have to look at some issues and, and even perhaps some difficult things that, that Pentecostals at times uh, have perhaps shied away from. But when you look at Romans chapter 8, you find that it's here that we see that the way the Spirit works in the lives of, of the saints of God. In addition to that, you can see that there is a need for complete holiness in our lives uh, as we are filled with the Spirit. It talks about this matter of suffering and how that it plays a part in a role, even in every one of our salvation. Now, you don't suffer to be saved, but I do believe that sometimes that suffering, if we allow it, can draw us closer to the Lord because we realize that there is a fragile matter of our lives and even our minds that we can find great comfort uh, whenever we begin to pursue the Lord. We've, we've talked about and preached about the matter of the Spirit interceding uh, in our lives. Uh, preached about the challenge even of predestination and, and foreknowledge. And now, tonight, I want to preach to you about the absolute assurance that every one of us can have in this matter of salvation. One of the Sunday nights after I finished preaching on Wednesday night, I got to church and Sister German uh, said something to me about uh, a podcast by a man, a pastor up in Plaster Rock, uh, up in Canada. His name is Brother Daniel McKillop. And uh, she said, I, I don't know if you listened to this podcast. I was familiar with it, but I had not listened to the one specifically that she uh, mentioned to me. And so the next day... Uh, I listened to it one time. It was right at, it was, it was over an hour. And I listened to that, and he was having a discussion with one of the young ministers there in the church in Plaster Rock. And then I ended up listening to it again on Friday. And then the following week, I listened to that same podcast again. And so on Tuesday of that week, I was... Uh, uh, out and was moving around town a little bit, making some contacts. And, and so I had Brother McKillop's number, and so I just called him. And I told him, I said, Brother McKillop, I said, uh, I want you to know how much I appreciate the discussion that you had uh, in this podcast. It's uh, called Kingdom Speak. You can find it, uh, not now, but you can find it after church. And uh, it, it's, a, it, it's good, good to listen to. Uh, that that podcast, but but I told him I said I, I certainly appreciate uh, what you are doing, and he was walking through Romans eight with his church. He told me a story that I found uh, to to be true that uh, is certainly there. I've heard other men. Uh, pastors that have had similar discussions and even here in this church there have been discussions that I have had uh, with members of our church on this particular matter. Brother McKillop said that he had one of the elders that uh, was there with his dad whenever they started that church in Plaster Rock. He said, I've known that man uh, ever since I was born. He said, this man is probably in his mid-80s or so. And he said that, that on the Wednesday night, he said that when I taught this lesson, he said the next day, he said this, this man called and said, I, I want to talk to you, Brother McKillop, and, and uh, just, just have a discussion about what uh, you have, have been teaching to us here uh, in our church. 
And uh, now this is not in the podcast, and I may be taking a little more liberty than tell, to tell this story, and I certainly don't think it's confidential. I don't, he probably had told it to other people. But he said that uh, this man came there, and he said again, an elder that had started that church with his dad uh, some 50, 60-odd years ago. And he said that man began to weep there in uh, that office. And he said, Brother McKillop, he said, I have served the Lord all of my life. And he said, I have given myself to a life of separation. And he said, and I love the apostolic doctrine. He said, but I am not certain that I am saved. And he said, and the scriptures that you have brought out to us here tonight or the, the previous night, He said, I want to believe them so much. He said, but there is just that feeling on the inside that that I always am coming up short. I want to tell the church here tonight that we are saved by grace. Our works are important. And there has to be a matter of where that that there is a a different lifestyle. That if you have been filled with the Spirit, that you are not going to have the same desires and hungers that the world has. But there is this matter that we have to understand that reward that work is for reward. It is not for salvation. I am saved because that the Lord Jesus Christ died for me. And then there was a response in to the new birth. But I cannot perform good enough to save myself. Now I know that there are some that would use that as an excuse for, for low living. I would also say this, that the majority of people that are probably concerned about whether or not they are saved or lost are probably okay. And the people that never even think about these matters, they probably are moving in the opposite direction. But this scripture that I have read to you here tonight, that there is a matter that we can understand that there are a host of scriptures that speak to the Lord taking care of His saints here in this earthly life through a variety of ways. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Psalm 55 and 22, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Psalm 56, 3 and 4, what time I am afraid I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word and in God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. And so there's a lot of other scriptures that tells us that the Lord out of his kindness and out of his mercy that if he is willing to die for us then he is willing to sustain and to help every need that you have in this life. Whether you may think that it's a small need or whether you may think it it is like a mountain that needs to be cast into the sea, the Lord is with us through every step of our journey as we walk toward heaven. There's others again that I could bring to you here tonight, but Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, begins to tell us about the care that he has for our soul. In fact, you can even see the extent by looking at four of the seven questions that are there in those verses, verses 31 through 39. But look there if you have your Bible still open. The Bible says in verse 31, If God be for us, who can be against us? In verse 33, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Verse 34, Who is he that condemneth? And then in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And the response that Paul has to those questions provides so much insight into 
what the Lord has done in every one of our lives. I want to point out some things here in verses 31 and 32 where that Paul writes about the provisions of our assurance. What can we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall not, how shall he not when him also freely give us all things? No is what he says. He says who can be against us? He's not saying that, that because you are a child of God that all of the enemies of your soul then they're going to be calmed and put away. That, that doesn't mean that. That means that as you walk on this way there's going to be enemies that are going to oppose you. There will be those from the world and from the flesh and from the devil that will try to hinder and to stop you as you move forward on your way to heaven. Satan will never prevail against us nor will unbelievers never prevail against us because here is what Paul is saying. Paul speaks to the objection of every enemy that tries to come along and begin to say that you are that you are not saved and that you are lost. He says it like this in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, those whom the God of this world, their minds are blinded. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 18, there are those that say that the message of the cross, that it is foolishness. And Paul says that that is not true. And then in Psalm 10 and 4, those who say that God is never even in their thoughts, those are the ones that are opposing and trying to hinder the direction of your life. And all of the critics and all of the accusers, they can be against us. But if God is for us, then there will be no one that will be able to prevail against you as you move along and walk in a place of faithfulness and loyalty to the Lord. Has it ever crossed your mind that God might be against somebody? Yeah, the Bible tells us that. The Bible speaks all throughout the Old Testament. There's passages that are that are there that, that talks to us about the enemies of God. He was against Assyria and the capital of Nineveh in Nahum chapter 2 and verse 14. Behold I am against thee saith the Lord of hosts and I will burn her chariots in smoke. Nahum chapter 3 and verse 5. Behold I am against thee saith the Lord of hosts. He was against Babylon. Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 31. He says, Behold, I am against thee, O thou most proud, saith the Lord God of hosts, for thy day is come, that the time I will visit thee. Jeremiah 51 and 25. Behold, I am against thee, O destroying mountain, saith the Lord. He was against Egypt and Pharaoh in Ezekiel 29 and 3. In Ezekiel 29 and 10 and even in Ezekiel 30. He is against Tyre and Sidon. We see that in Ezekiel 26. He was against the Edomites in Ezekiel chapter 35. And this morning when Brother Justin was preaching, there was something woven into that, that there are enemies of God, even in our day today, and God is against them. It may seem like that they are prevailing against the church momentarily, but we have to know this, that ultimately their plans were failed. Ultimately, everything they have designed for the failure of an individual saint or for an apostolic church, that they are going to come to nothing because the Lord still has a feeling against people that oppose Him. And the Lord will stand up in judgment and He will say, I am going to oppose you and I am against you. And so the all-powerful God that is 
is on the side of every one of his saints. He has great provisions for them. And Paul goes on and he begins to elaborate it like this. Look at what it says. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And yet here's our challenge is that there's times where that we look at the greatness and the, and, and the price that was paid for our salvation. In fact, the Scriptures tells us that we are bought with a price. And whenever we begin to grasp that price, we begin to realize that, that what God paid for us, that how that He spared not the Son of Man, that, that He delivered Him up for us all. If He did that, I'm going to tell you, he's going to take care of the end and the final result of every bit of your salvation. That there can be an assurance that you can say, you know what, I have been born again. I have been washed in his blood. I have been baptized in his name. I have been filled with his spirit. And because the Lord has done that, how shall he not freely give us all? All things. When you start looking at that, you realize that Jesus suffered and bled and died for our sins. God and man, two natures, human and divine, and yet He died and He was not spared for our sins. Jesus, who was pure and holy, He died for sinners. Jesus, who was not spared, but was a substitute sacrifice for every one of our sins that we should have been crucified. But the Lord said, you know what? I've got a plan and I'm going to robe myself in flesh and I am going to walk up a hill for Golgotha and I am going to secure a salvation for people that are in a church in Dothan, Alabama on, on August 29th 2021 that they will worship me because I have secured their salvation consider this the prince of peace the king of kings the lord of lords he is the wonderful he is the counselor he is the mighty god he is the everlasting father and he was made a sin bearer for my sin and for your sin do you think he's going to go all the way to the cross and then pull it back and say oh I was just kidding no he's not going to do that there is going to be a security that you're going to be able to know that when He filled you with His Spirit, that as He said in Philippians 1 and 6, that what He started, that He is going to complete unto that day of Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He said, God gave such a one to us that the world could not find his fellow nor heaven could reveal an equal. He gave to us a treasure so priceless that if heaven and earth were weighted like a merchant's golden wedge, they could not buy that salvation. For us was given the chiefest among 10,000 and it was altogether lovely. For us, the herd of the most fine gold was laid down in the dust and the raven locks that he had were stained with blood. For us, those eyes which are as salt as the eyes of a dove, they were red with weeping and they were washed with tears instead of milk. And for those cheeks which were as a bed of spices, they were defiled with spit and the countenance like Lebanon. It was as excellent as the cedars that was marred more than the sons of man. That is what the Lord did for 
for every one of us whenever he walked up that car, that Calvary's hill there at Golgotha and they crucified him. Think about the investment at Calvary and then ask yourself this question that Paul writes, he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? There are provisions that you find in this matter of salvation. But let's look to Romans chapter 8 and verse 33. The Bible says there, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. And so in those two, two first verses, I see the matter of His provision. But now here's what I see in these verses, that there is a purity of the assurance. Who, who's going to lay anything to the charge of God's elect? You, you look at that matter and, and it's the devil. It's Satan. It's that, that old slewfoot, that great dragon that's constantly accusing the brethren. I didn't have this in, in the uh, list, Matt, but I, I want to read this. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. Would you turn over in your Bible to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10? Let's start in verse 9. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. The Bible says there, And that great dragon, or in the great dragon, was cast out. Revelation 12, 9. Y'all there? Revelation 12 and 9. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Verse 10, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Do you realize that right now that the devil is accusing you? He is slandering you. He's doing everything you, he can to tear apart the reputation that you have. But understand this, Romans 8 and 33, is his words going to mean anything? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God? God's elect. It's not me that's going to justify myself, but it is God that justifies me. And when the Lord begins to hear that slander and that libel and those accusations, He turns around and looks and He knows this, that there's coming a day whenever that old dragon is going to be cast out. And there at that moment, our salvation will be complete. Completely and totally completed. It's because God justifies me. It's because God sanctifies me. He's the one that made the plan for salvation to be worked out in my life and in your life. Rome or Isaiah chapter 50 and verses 8 and 9 he is near that justifies me who will contend with me let us stand together who's my adversary let him come near to me behold the Lord God will help me who is he that shall condemn me lo they shall all wax old as a garment and the moth is going to eat them up and because of the power of God any charge that is laid against any of the redeemed against any of the sanctified it will not have any effect whatsoever because Paul comes along and begins to express he's saying I'm going to tell you something that in this matter of our own personal righteousness and holiness every bit of it comes from God there is no good thing that is in this 
this flesh. But whenever I was born again, whenever the Lord filled me with the Spirit, all of a sudden this old flesh, it became valuable again. There's going to come a day that the Lord is going to put a white robe on me. There's going to come a day whenever I'm going to be totally and completely sanctified because the salvation and the righteousness is not generated by self-righteousness. you got to be careful if you've been in the church for any length of time that you don't get filled up with self-righteousness. And there's times whenever I battle and I fight against that, I start thinking about, well, I grew up in the church. I got the Holy Ghost when I was seven. I, I've tried to live a clean life. I've never been drunk and never smoked marijuana. I was clean and pure when I got married. And I've tried to live a stable life that has been filled with character. I have not backslid. I have not gone back on the doctrine. And there's times where you can start feeling like you're you're pretty good at your self-righteousness. But I'm going to tell you what. The higher you climb the mountain of self-righteousness and self-good, there will get to be a place whenever you start looking at the next step and you will say, I've climbed as high as I can and there is nothing that is good inside of me. And the Lord says, depend on me. You're not the one that has saved yourself. The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that is saving me. Is there purity? Is there doctrine? Is there holiness in my life? Oh, absolutely. But it was put in there when I was born again. It was when the Lord filled us with the Holy Ghost that those things began to be in our hearts and begin to be in our lives. And so if you are guided by the Spirit of God, if you have been justified, there's going to be a call to holiness that's stimulated by the Spirit of God. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying that God is the one that justifies. And so if the Lord justifies, what's going to happen? There's going to be impulses to pray. There's going to be times whenever you're driving down the road. There's going to be times when you may be at, at your, your place of work. And Sister Regina Worley is told this has happened to her bunches of times at, at, uh, at, at Southeast Health in the billing department and, and uh, in, in her cubicle. And she would be listening to something. And all of a sudden, the power of God would be right there in that little old small cubicle. And she would sense the presence of the Lord. And there would be something on the inside that would stimulate her to pray and to reach up to the Lord. Was that of her own doings? No, it was not. It was that spirit that was on the inside of her that was drawing her to a higher place. There's been times I've been riding down the road in my car and begin to weep in my car. Why was that? It's because the holiness of God filled up that car and it had nothing to do with my own goodness but everything about the goodness of God and so if we're spirit filled we're going to have impulses to pray there's going to be a motivation to worship there's going to be a desire to be in a corporate assembly of believers there's going to be a hunger for the word of God there's going to be an ambition that causes you to say we've got to advance the cause and the purpose of the church and we've got to see it move forward what does that mean? that means that we've got to see people in the altars being filled when the Holy Ghost. It was a blessing to me this morning to see Brother Pittman's mother up here in this altar, well into her 70s, seeking God for the Holy Ghost. I'm praying the Lord fills her when the Holy Ghost. Why? So we can see the kingdom of God to advance. And every one of those matters and a whole lot more 
they impact us both inwardly and outwardly because God has justified us. That's why people that don't have any of those desires, they really ought to give consideration to their personal relationship with God. They ought to wonder, am I even saved? I'm going to tell you what, if you're in the, when you get in the presence of other believers, if you're miserable, if you come to church and it's a drudgery, if there is no prayer in your life, if there is no interaction with the word and the Lord and if every time you come in here you're bored and you're disconnected and you'd rather be surfing the web on your phone or looking at Facebook I would seriously question whether or not that I was even saved because in Paul's writings in Romans 8.33 he said that if God has justified us then there's going to be something in my heart that reaches for him and that craves him and that desires to be in the presence of the Lord because we have been justified. There is a level of purity that has been brought into our lives and into our spirits. But look in verse 34. The Bible says it like this, Romans 8, 34. It says, Who is he that condemneth? His Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who even at the who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Once again, it's almost a, a repeat of an earlier question that, that he writes. But whenever you look at what Paul is writing here in, in the opening of, of Romans chapter 8, look, look back to that verse that we went through several months ago, look in verse 1, Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And we have to realize and know, and again, I, I, I want to point out uh, something here, and, and I know there's debate about Romans 7 as to whether it is a converted man or whether it was Paul in his pre-conversion. And, and over the years, I have wrestled back and forth, but, but I, I, I would have to say that that I believe that when you read Romans 7, what are you seeing? You're, you're seeing a wrestling match that's going on in a man that still has flesh and yet has been filled by the Spirit because his conscience is troubling him. And he comes into Romans uh, 7, 24. He said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he says it like this, I thank God. God, through our through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the, with the flesh there is a law of sin. But look, there's a key that you find in verse 21. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. But but here's really a, a tip, and you see it in verse 22. He said, but I delight in the law of God after the inward man. He's saying, you know what? I realize that this flesh that I have, that this flesh, as long as it's living down here, that there is a desire for this flesh to go in an opposite direction of God. He said, but whenever the Spirit interacted in my life, I began to realize that I delight in the law of God after the inward man. I have to confess to you that there's been more times than one that over the course of my life that I have walked into an apostolic church and there have been events that have happened back during the week but yet there was something on the inside of me that says if I can get in the presence of the Lord because why there is a delight in the law of God and if I can get around some saints of God and if I can get in and brother Patterson will start preaching and they'll open up up that altar I can fall into an altar repentance and I can begin to delight in the law of God and begin to confess and what does the Lord do the Lord moves those things out of my heart and out of my spirit because we have been justified and what we have to realize that there is a level 
of purity and holiness that the Lord has placed inside of our lives. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. I don't want to go back to Romans 1, but, but this morning Brother Justin preaching in Romans chapter 1 about the consequences of sin and what takes place. Their foolish heart was darkened. They, they were wise fools. You remember him preaching about that? Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. There is a, there is a picture of a man that is in Romans 1 that is absolutely and totally different from this man that you're reading about in Romans chapter 8 because there is a purity that has come into his life and into his spirit. That's how you begin to realize, you know what, there is something that is working in my heart and in my spirit that's drawing me in the direction of God. But let's look in verse 34. The Bible says there, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Now, again, if you're, you're taking, you're keeping up with this, you remember we talked about, I'm going to ask you, what, you remember the first, what was the first one? Provision. And then the second verse that we went through, 33, what was that? Purity. Now here's what I see in this verse right here. There's a performance that comes from this assurance. What, what does it look like? It's Christ that died. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who walk in the Spirit, and not after their flesh. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins. And the Lord Jesus Christ has risen again. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the power of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ is making intercession for all of his saints. Do you see that? Who's performing now? Is it Paul that's performing? Is it the church at Rome that's performing? Is it the saints here tonight that is performing? No, it's not. You see the performance of our Savior. And whenever Paul starts talking about the power of Jesus Christ and the assurance that a saint of God can have in their lives any condemnation that is brought against them then the Lord says I'm going to take care of that you say how does that work well you remember that the devil accused Job he said you only worship God because of what you can get out of him you're selfish and so you only are worshiping God for what you can get remember that was the accusation that he made against Job. But was that what God said? No. God keeps talking about Job. And here's what he keeps saying. Have you considered my servant, Job? And the devil's saying, oh, he's just a selfish guy. He's just somebody that's just using you, God. And the Lord says, no. He said, I'm going to tell you, he is my servant. We also begin to find in Zechariah chapter 3, the Bible tells us that Satan accused Joshua, who was a high priest, which is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he accused him with lies. But ultimately, those lies, they were not true. And then, you remember in Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, the Bible says that the Lord looked at Peter and he said, Simon, Simon, he said, behold, Satan had desired you so that he could have you and sift you like wheat. But I'm going to tell you something, Simon, that you have to understand this. After you have been converted, I want you to strengthen the brethren. It doesn't matter what the devil lies about us. It doesn't matter what the devil accuses us. And it at times does not matter what the devil uses to try to sift us. There is a performance of your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are divine protection. And even though it may be the furthest thought from your mind the Lord is there with you and he's working and he's performing in his power 
on those old hymns that John Wesley translated and we don't sing it, I've heard it some on YouTube and various others uh, iTunes Jesus thy blood and righteousness but, but one of those verses that's there bold shall I stand in that great day for who ought to my charge shall lay fully absolved through thee I am from sin and fear and fear from guilt and shame there's going to come a day that we're going to stand before the Lord and I'm certain that there will be trepidation I'm certain that there's going to be a matter of saying when I stand before the Lord I don't know how it's going to go. I'm preaching to you tonight that if you are walking in the direction and that you have been born of the Spirit, then whenever you get there, you can boldly stand in that great day. For there is no charge that can be laid at my feet. I'm fully absolved through the Lord Jesus Christ and sin and fear and guilt and shame has been removed from our our lives. You realize how powerful of a trick that shame is? You ever you ever you ever seen somebody shame somebody else? It's a powerful tool that enemies can use against people. And yet there is that matter sometimes that what does the enemy want to do? He wants to take regrets that we have from the past. All of us have regrets. All of us have things that we say, you know what? I wish I'd have taken a little bit different turn. I wish I'd have made a little bit of an adjustment in my life and done a little bit different thing. And the enemy will stand up and he will begin to shame you. He will begin to mock you. But if you understand the power of the gospel that there are times that we realize that we are not perfect and that there is a level of perfection that we know is in scripture and we say I want to reach up to that and so what do you do you look to the Lord Jesus Christ and say he's dealt with it he's washed me whiter he's cleansed me I am blood bought I am born again because of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ working in my heart and in my life. Because here's the thing, what's covered by the blood means that we're clothed in a righteousness that is not our own. You're clothed in, remember that prodigal son coming home. The dad says, hey, we got to kill the fatted calf. And one of the things that he did was he pulled out a robe. And I remember when I was in Bible college and Brother Griffin went through great lengths to talk about in Luke 15 about how that that father came out and met that son. He said, I'll tell you what, we got to take all these filthy rags off of him that, that's got, that, that smells like pigs, that's got mud all over him, that, is, that has got stains of slop on him. Son, I'm taking that coat off of you and I'm putting a coat on you that you may feel like you don't deserve, that you may feel like that you don't even, even have a right to, but it is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ who cleanses and when he puts that robe on us, we're just like Mephibosheth and he slides us up to the king's table and when everybody looks at you, nobody can tell that you're crippled and that your feet don't work and that you can't walk when you're sitting at the king's table. Everything has been taken care of and everything has been fixed that is what the grace of God looks like and I would just say this here tonight be careful if you have trouble extending grace the grace of God whenever people make mistakes are there disqualifying mistakes absolutely I would just tell you here tonight my pulpit ministry is totally disqualified if I commit adultery At my a pulpit ministry, it's over with. There are sins that disqualify you from service, but we've got to understand this: 
that sin can never disqualify us from salvation if there is a repentance and begins to move in the direction in the direction of the Lord. Again, that does not remove the boundaries to say, oh, you just go do whatever you want to do. Everything's fine. That's not what is implied here. But I have to be careful whenever I want to hold people to a higher level of righteousness than what the Lord says. I have to realize this. You let people make their choices, do everything you can to help them. But at a certain time, you got to back up and you got to take your hands off of them and you've got to say you know what it's all in the presence of the Lord and they are the ones that's going to have to deal with God because sometimes there can be a matter that gets into our hearts and I'm just confessing to you here tonight that there can be a self-righteousness that can rise up in your heart that can penalize people and that can hold them a million miles away and say, oh, they don't deserve to get into the kingdom of God. Be careful about that. Worry with your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then here's what else Paul says in this last segment, verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We get now to the last part and you begin to see the passion it comes out from our assurance because this is an incredibly encouraging, strengthening, and even comforting text that probably all of us at some point have turned to in the past in our lives. And here's what we find. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 35. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And here's what Paul does. He levels up this matter of assurance whenever he starts writing these words. And here's what he does. He makes the equivalent. He doesn't talk about salvation here. He talks about the love of Christ. He talks about the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord and he comes along and there's times where that you experience adversity in life tribulation, distress persecution, famine nakedness, peril and sore for thy sake we are killed all the day long we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter and here's what can happen whenever you get into those moments like that out of default Sometimes out of doubt, there's a tendency for us to immediately go to a place and we will start thinking that God no, no longer loves us. And whenever you start thinking that the Lord no longer loves you, then you begin to question, I wonder if I'm really spirit-filled. I wonder if I really have been born again. And Paul opens up that question he said, who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? And again, salvation is spoken of in the terms of the love of God. And here's the part about us human beings. We can't understand that kind of love. Because most of us love people, and yet there's strings that are attached. There's conditions that are on our love. And if that person does something to violate that trust, if somebody does something to violate, then we start wondering, okay, this love that I have for them, there's conditions. But Paul comes along and he says, I'm going to tell you what. He said, the love of God, it is deeper and further than anything your mind 
can even imagine. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And so the work of salvation is certain. Can we drift into backsliding and then maybe fall into apostasy? Absolutely. That can happen. But for a child of God that is striving to make it in, I want to conclude with this passage as we stand here tonight. 2 Peter chapter 1. You really probably ought to underline these verses in your Bible. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, and I just want to say this, I know that, that, that again, that because of a holiness background, and sometimes because of our desire for righteousness, sometimes the things that we preach in this way, we start thinking, well, now, now that's what this denomination believes. This is what those people say. But I want to ask you a question. Is, is this a Baptist Bible? Is this a Presbyterian Bible? It's a holy Bible. And so if I'm going to ardently defend the new birth and Jesus' name baptism and the oneness of God, then I have to take these scriptures and look at them through the same lens and let them say what they are going to say. And so look with me. This is encouraging to me. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue. <laughs> Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you, Philip Harrelson, Adam McKinney, Chad Kirkland, all the rest of you might be partakers of the divine nature who have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, you've been given diligence. And so because of that, add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacks these things, he's blind. He can't see afar off. And he has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Assurance. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so not only does Paul in Romans 8 give us this sense of assurance, but Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1 affords us that same sense of assurance. But I want to ask you some questions. Are you familiar with the charges and the accusations that sometimes are laid against your conscience? Do you know what it's like to be condemned and slandered by the devil? Do you have tribulation you have distress and persecution? Are those things present at any time in your life? I feel certain that they probably are. But let me conclude with this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress 
or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long and we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all of these things we're more than conquerors, Brother Paul, through him that loved us. I'm persuaded, Brother Paul, that neither death nor ALS nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord if ever there ought to be a a prayer a praise of gratefulness to come up out of this congregation it ought to be right now that if you've been filled with the spirit that you lift your hands that you lift your voice and that you just begin to thank God that nothing can separate us. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ. I am thankful for the hope that I find in your word. I am thankful for your goodness. I'm thankful, Lord, for every bit of the mercy, Lord, that you have Lord, show me in my life. Sweet Father, I pray, Jesus, tonight, Lord, that every one of us that have been born again, Lord, that when doubts are thrown in our direction, that we go to this manner that nothing can separate us from the love. Jesus' name, that's it, church. Let's worship the Lord right now.